So this reading is from Acts chapter 10 and beginning at verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day, at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who had come to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? he asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up onto the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened, and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter. Kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, The men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, We have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. The next day, Peter started out with them and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said, I am only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, Three days ago I was in my house praying at this hour, at three in the afternoon. 
Suddenly, a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I now realise how true it is that God does not show favouritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who are under the power of the devil, because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptised with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptised in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. So let's come to this passage, to Acts chapter 10. Now, I think the first thing to say is that it is a very strategic passage. There are various passages in the Acts of the Apostles where it's like things go up a gear or take a change of direction, which in fact is very significant. The persecution of the church, uh, which came pretty soon after the tremendous blessing and people coming to Christ, the persecution of the church meant that people were scattered And we're told that wherever they went, they took the word with them. And that's when Philip went down to Samaria. And so, although you could say it seemed a negative persecution, hardship, difficulty, in fact, it turned out to be a great positive because there were people hearing the gospel who otherwise would not have heard it. And so when we come to, well, Acts chapter 9 is very strategic and significant because a key man Paul of Tarsus, Saul of Tarsus, Paul, is going to be saved and he's going to be raised up to minister again in places which other people had not yet reached. But in Acts chapter 10, it's Peter's turn for a real gear change. Now, Peter loved the Lord Jesus. He followed the Lord Jesus. We know that. He, he was restored and uh, he preaches out of his skin, really, on Acts chapter 2, it's just an incredible declaration of the gospel. 
And one of the things I like about Peter's sermons is that if you study them carefully, you don't learn much about Peter, but you learn a great deal about Jesus. And I think that, again, is very important in ministry. It's not bad sometimes to add a few little sort of personal anecdotes and what have you, but the whole point of sharing the word of God is that people discover Jesus. You shouldn't go home knowing more about the preacher than you know about Jesus. And that's very much what comes across in the message he brings to Cornelius. It also comes across in what he shared on the day of Pentecost. But now, let us see how God prepared the way for this event. And I believe this should encourage us about the way that God is at work, even when we don't always see or know it. And maybe even during this COVID time, there are things going on by the Spirit of God, that we will later actually learn and discover quite what he was doing. What God is doing is he has Cornelius very much on his radar. Uh, Cornelius is a centurion, he's a Gentile, but uh, somehow or other, we don't know his full background, but he came to fear God. And again, it's a challenge to us that perhaps you know people who have a fear of God, an awareness of God, but they haven't yet come to that point of putting their trust in Jesus. And it's ever so important that we seek to reach them. This passage is all about reaching anybody and everybody. But it is important, there are God-fearing people, even in our nation, maybe people in your families, And they do have a respect for God, but at the same time they haven't yet made that step of giving their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to pray for those people. I can't promise that an angel is going to turn up and speak to them, but we certainly know that God loves these people, everyone, and wants them to move that step, not just from fearing and respecting, like my dear granddad and uh, others I can think of in my family, but coming to Christ actually receiving eternal life. So God's preparing Cornelius. There's something on his heart. He's generous. He gives to the poor, which uh, was something of a hallmark of the early church. They did have a real caring attitude towards the poor. No needy person among them was their kind of motto to really, really share truth and yet also compassion and love. So Cornelius is a good guy. He's a good man, but he doesn't know the Lord Jesus. And so an angel appears to him and says, you need to send to Joppa, or I understand Jaffa today, you need to send to Joppa because Peter is there and you need to ask him to come to your house. So the scene is set. God is working. Cornelius is alerted. Something is going to happen. He's looking for Peter to come to his house. But God is preparing Peter as well. Round about the same time, we're not given chronological sort of detail, but round about the same time, God is speaking to Peter. And uh, he gives Peter a vision, a fairly graphic vision, because Peter really does need some help to understand that the gospel truly is for a far wider group than he's been dealing with. And therefore, he has the vision of the net being lowered and all these creatures inside and the instruction, rise Peter, kill and eat. 
Now, for Peter, everything has to happen in threes. We know that in terms of, do you love me, do you love me? He denied Jesus three times. Three times the net is lowered. And uh, Peter must have thought, God's trying to say something to me because I've had this before. Anyway, the important thing, rise Peter, kill and eat. And, and Peter says, no, 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 that, that can't be right. That can't be God. Uh, I, I can't get into this. I'm not allowed to do that. But of course, this is not about eating. This is not about diet. This is not about the preparation of food. What this is about is saying to Peter, you need to reach out to anyone that I send you to. You must never be prejudiced in the way that you share. You must seek to reach the poor and the rich. You must seek to reach the old and the young. You need to reach anybody and everybody who's brought across your path and you need to reach out with the equal love and compassion You don't save your best sermons when you think there's loads of people who might like to hear it. You're also prepared to preach whether there's a handful in front of you or thousands. Just share the good news of Jesus. So when the men from Cornelius turn up, well, Peter is not totally surprised. He he realises that these men have been sent by the Lord and so he finds himself after a while at the house of Cornelius. Now again, from the point of view of a preacher, uh, when Cornelius, uh, well, first of all, he has to be rebuked because he's almost worshipping Peter and Peter says, no, no, you know, there's no need for that. I'm a man just like you. But Cornelius says, I believe God has given you a message and I want to hear it. We want to hear it. And Cornelius had reached out. There was his normal household, but it seems that there was quite a crowd gathered into his house in Caesarea. There was a lot of people who'd gathered in order that they could hear Peter's message. And uh, to be given the invitation, whatever God has laid on your heart, Peter, this is what we want you to share. Uh, That's wonderful. We've had that experience, Phil, haven't we, in in different places. And, uh, of course, I'm sure here this morning, you're hungry to hear the word of God. But it is quite, quite incredible to go to a people who are so hungry, so hungry for the word of God. It's a great privilege. And Peter finds himself in a situation like that. But what we notice again, as I said earlier, about his message and about his Christ-centeredness in what he preaches, he tells them, first of all, about the life and ministry of Jesus. Now, I'm not sure that we've got every word that he preached. I would imagine we've got a summary of what he preached that day. But he shared about who Jesus is and he shared about what Jesus did. And he uses this lovely phrase about he went about doing good. Now sometimes we've got the wrong end of the stick, haven't we? We talk about do-gooders who are not really sincere. They're just trying to do things maybe for their own attention, maybe to build a platform, look at me. But that wasn't Jesus. Jesus did good in an evil world. He does good in an evil world. He contrasts his compassion, his love, his mercy, his willingness to reach out, and of course Jesus reached out to Gentiles as well. It was very apparent 
that the love of Jesus would reach out to do good, to heal people, to see people set free from demonic influence, to share good news with them. And he says this was the life and ministry of Jesus. But he says it didn't stop there because he needed to say, and Jesus, this Jesus who I've described to you, this wonderful person, this incredible character, this, this man of love and compassion and uh, great power and authority. He says, we crucified him. He was crucified. He was nailed to the cross. Now, we're not told much more, but I, I can be confident that he would have actually explained why Jesus died, that he died for our sins, that he died to take the punishment we deserve, that he died so that we don't go to hell, but we can go to heaven. He died so that we could have eternal life. And I'm sure all of that was explained. And then the third thing he talks about with the Lord Jesus is he says, he rose from the dead. Now, this wasn't quite a creed in the wonderful way that we read a creed this morning, but in another sense, it is a creed. He's being very clear. This is who Jesus is. This is what his life was about. This was what his ministry achieved. This was what happened to him. He died. He was crucified because he became our sin bearer and he rose from the dead because that's absolutely vital because Peter wouldn't have been there if Jesus hadn't risen from the dead. Because he says, we're witnesses. We have come to know this for ourselves. And many of you here, perhaps all of you here, you would also humbly say, as I would humbly say, we are a witness to the reality that Jesus Christ not only died on the cross, but that he rose from the dead. He's alive today. That's what our friends will take to the people in Jaffa and that's what we take out to the various different mission partners that you have in so many places uh, across the world. But there is a fourth thing that he says about Jesus. He says that uh, Jesus is the judge. Jesus is the judge. And uh, I, I think it's remarkable I mean, God's been preparing him. He's had a bit of a journey, so he's had time, maybe to make a few notes, I don't quite know. But uh, he's been thinking and praying about quite what he's going to say. But he doesn't miss this out. He says, yes, Jesus had this wonderful life. Jesus was crucified for our sins. Jesus rose from the dead. But he said, he is also the judge of all. Now, he wasn't being threatening. He was just expressing a very, very important reality that everyone will one day have to face Jesus. Whether they accepted or rejected him in this life, everyone will have to face up to this reality that we will give an account to Jesus Christ. He is the judge of all. And he's a holy, righteous judge. And before people get too upset about the thought of people going into hell and to a lost eternity, let us never forget what he went through to save us from it. It's very easy to, oh, you know, is a God of love allowing people to be lost forever? How is it that a God of love should allow his precious, wonderful son to suffer and to die for us? That's incredible. That's grace. That's mercy. And that was the Jesus that he presented to them.
Well, we see at this point, uh, it looks like Peter's sermon is interrupted in a way, uh, but I don't think uh, the sort of interruption that happened here would have been off-putting because God's Spirit just comes upon these people and uh, they begin to, well, they do begin to speak in tongues and, of course, what Peter is seeing is, he said, oh my goodness, you know, what happened to us on the day of Pentecost, we see it happening here. And they were aware that the Holy Spirit had come upon this gathering in an incredible way. But when we look into the scriptures, we didn't read chapter 11. Chapter 10 was pretty long, but we didn't read chapter 11. But chapter 11 does have another two very interesting points. I'll just read a couple of verses. In verse 1, it says, The apostles and believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And then in verse 18, they, this, is, this is recorded. When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, So then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. To life. Why am I sharing that with you? Well, of course, there can sometimes be a lot of concentration when God's Holy Spirit moves and we hear revivals, we hear of all sorts of things happening. There can be a lot of concentration on, as it were, the emotion and the, the outward and uh, all sorts of manifestations, expressions. But the Word of God says, yes, there was something pretty supernatural, there was something extraordinary going on. But the testimony these people received the word of God. So they didn't receive an experience. It wasn't just to do with however they behaved as God's spirit came upon them. That, that was only one thing. They received the word of God. And we are very conscious. You're very conscious. You can lead someone to Christ. There can be at a moment in their life. It could be that something's going very wrong. They've Maybe in seeking God, maybe, I, I know in, in Malawi, well, uh, no, not Malawi, Mozambique, uh, Aubrey came across a group of people and they were so fearful of the COVID, uh, they wanted to get right with God in case they died. Well, that's not bad if it led to true faith and repentance. And I'm sure there are people around us at this time who, uh, there's a fear around what if I get it? What if I die? Well, it's important to have an answer. They received the word of God. And the other testimony that came in the verse I read, verse 18, God has granted these Gentiles repentance that leads to life. So, you see, there were the three things. There was that manifestation of God's Spirit on that occasion to that group of people. But there was a sense, not just receiving an emotion and experience, but there was a sense of receiving solidly the Word of God. As, as Jesus said, didn't he? He said, a wise man builds his house upon the rock, which means that he has heard the Word of God and does something about it. That's what happened with these people but also there was the repentance that we talked about right at the beginning of the service in the confession 
that was shared and we shared it together. Genuine repentance. A genuine turning round, as uh, Phil illustrated. Stop going this way and start going this way. This is what happened to these people. And so God began to uh, reach out beyond just one community. And today, we need to reach out. We thank God for the work among the homeless. We thank God for the work among uh, those who are single mums. We thank God for the work uh, in some parts of, uh, of the city with prostitutes. We thank God that uh, there's no barrier, there's no limit. We don't say we only reach this sort of person. We've come to understand the gospel is for everyone. Everyone. Whatever their income bracket, whether they've come from a family where they've been used to swearing and cursing, or whether they have come from a Christian home. Like Cornelius, whatever you've tasted, we need to come to Christ. And I do challenge you today, if you are a God-fearer, but you haven't actually said, Lord Jesus Christ, come into my life, be my saviour, then even today, you can make that step. And Phil and others here will be delighted to talk to you and help you. God bless you.